This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Software may be written on machines, but it's written by and for human beings. That's according to Ledge's guest, April Winsel, founder of Compassionate Coding, a company offering advice and workshops to engineering teams on how to bring a more human touch to the workplace. We weren't caring enough about the human beings in the engineering process, notes April, who used her background in software engineering to tailor her company's interactive workshops so the content deeply aligns with her technical audience. In this episode, we get to hear April's perspective on the importance of emotional intelligence in the coding process and how to promote psychological safety, diversity, and organizational effectiveness. April, it's so cool to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you just give a two or three minute background story of uh, yourself and your work, you know, so the audience can get to know you? Sure. So I have kind of the stereotypical engineering background. I started coding in high school and went on to study computer science in college. I worked at um, like almost 10 different companies in the Bay Area um, over about a decade. So switched jobs a lot. Uh, Got a diverse experience in things like education tech, gaming, health tech. Um, and, uh, I was working as a software engineer using all kinds of technologies, leading teams, did that too. Um, and then I got to a point where I saw that there were a lot of problems in the industry, um, things like burnout that were affecting engineers, um, lack of diversity was something that, uh, was affecting me as a woman engineer, um, seeing unethical products, uh, seeing conflict on teams. And I saw that all of this sort of shared the same root problem, which was just, uh, we weren't caring enough about human beings in the engineering process. And so in 2016, I started my company, Compassionate Coding, to help bring emotional intelligence to the software development process. And so that's what I do now. So, I mean, huge topic. I mean, this comes up like literally I've done, you know, hundreds of these. And I mean, every single time, you know, customer empathy and human process and soft skills, communication, diversity, you know, I mean, you got a, you got a big nut there. So, I mean, what does this look like tactically on the ground? I mean, how does, how does a company even know that, Oh, I might benefit from, you know, compassionate coding. Yeah, no, it's cool because uh, I kind of take the cue from my clients. So I don't ever try to really sell it to people. I just kind of talk about the stuff that matters to me and then they come to me. So what they come, the reasons they come are, uh, you know, maybe they do have, um, you know, uh, conflict on the team. So, or maybe they do have uh, trouble delivering software. Uh, And so it could be something like that or a very technical problem. Like they're dealing with legacy code and people are frustrated because that's an emotion right there, frustration. Uh, And then, um, or they do want to diversify their team too. And, And for me, it all ties together. Like some people isolate these problems is, oh, we have a diversity problem or, oh, you know, we have, we need agile software development or whatever it may be. But I see that these are all the same problem and it's just um, not thinking about enough about the individual human beings on the team. So as far as tactically, like what it involves, uh, companies bring me on site. I do some uh, interviews with people to understand problems on the team. And then I create a customized curriculum of emotional intelligence targeted towards engineers. So I try to use language that engineers understand, uh, you know, because I can uh, reference my background as an engineer and show them how 
this is not just soft stuff. So I, I avoid using soft skills because I think engineers love to dismiss that as not as important as hard technical skills. So I use uh, terms like catalytic skills, uh, which I got from Daniel Goldman, a psychologist, and it, it means that it helps you catalyze your other skills. So for example, being persistent, being curious, being, uh, you know, improving your communication skills, all of these help you do your job better. So they catalyze the application of your other skills. So uh, I and then I teach this uh, interactive workshop at the companies. Uh, and then afterwards, you know, I'm available for them to consult me whenever they have trouble implementing the ideas we discuss and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you find the stickiness of the the lessons, you know, it's easy to sit and do your PD, you know, and kind of check the box and, oh, good, we learned about some stuff and then go back to your, you know, sort of old behavioral patterns. How do you, uh, how do you address that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of good research on this, you know, on, on how to form new habits and whatnot. But one thing I do is I really try to tie it into people's own desires. So, and their own needs and their own wants. And so, you know, a lot of people want their lives to change in different ways. And so I try to get to the core of what matters to them. So, uh, you know, because I think in order to make change, you really have to have a deep motivation. It can't just be, you know, oh, yeah, I want to check this box or, or, you know, and usually it's not even enough to say I want to make more money or I want to get more job offers or, you know, gig offers or whatever. It's more like, you know, I want to be happier at work, <laughs> like, you know, even down to that or like, I don't want to be stressed out all the time. Or, you know, I want to find ways of managing things so that I can spend more time with my family or, you know, something that's like a core um, motivation. And so that's step one is finding that core motivation. And then every workshop that I do ends with an action plan. So we come up with like specific steps for each person to do and they commit to it. And they say, you know, here's like a small way I'm going to get started with this. Something I'm going to change in my life to bring more emotional intelligence to my software development work. And so you've got a room full of people. It's a, it's a group approach, but each individual is going to kind of have a different vector that that matters most to them. And you're then you're shooting for the the leveling up of emotional intelligence kind of across the spectrum then. Yeah, that's exactly it. Actually, one of the sessions I gave was called Level Up Your Emotional Intelligence. So <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on the language there. But yeah, so it's a group approach, but there are a lot of individual activities we do. So a lot of written introspection uh, that, you know, engineers are not used to doing because uh, they have to they break out that pen and handwrite things. And, um, you know, it's 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 a different experience, which is why, you know, it's fun and engaging, too, I think, because it's just something different. <laughs> and, you don't let them yeah, check so it into GitHub? I mean, you guys. No, 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 none of that. No, I, I usually make them um, or ask them. I don't make anything, but I ask them to put away their devices altogether just because then they can, yeah. you know, bring their full self to the workshop. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and that's probably like a really, uh, I don't know, liberating experience, you know, kind of to, you know, I've been instructed to detether. And yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I believe that that is, is something that, that none of us do. I mean, you know, it, it, it strikes me that you're able to speak engineering language to, to that cohort, you know, which is, is smart, but these are not principles that, that wouldn't apply to really anyone, you know, in, in any context, department, what have you, any company. So do you ever see that it, it kind of bleeds out and like, Hey, can you do this for the operations group? And can you do it for the, you know, whatever other group? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of times the workshops, I, I get approached by, you know, the VP of engineering or the CTO or like a manager of a team. But a lot of the people who come are, you know, the marketer may come too, or the salesperson. And because really I try to keep the material, uh, you know, I make references to engineering, but I also, it is general purpose uh, too. Uh, but it's funny too, because I was, um, you know, doing some banking for my company the other day and they were like, do you do this for the financial services? Because I think we could really use some more emotional intelligence. Uh, and yeah, so people do ask me about it for different fields and, and I could totally see going in those directions. I've just really enjoyed this niche though, just because it's like, it's uh, the people that I feel like I can resonate with in terms of, you know, we have shared experiences and I have that background that's like theirs. And I can say, hey, I know we all used to make fun of this stuff and call it, you know, soft stuff and now soft skills and just, you know, dismiss it as uh, squishy people stuff. And um, I can say, but actually, here's how it can make a difference in our lives for real. And there's science to back it up. And so we should really do this. <laughs> yeah. And engineers like science, you know, so as long as you yep. brought your peer reviewed literature, everything should be chill. Um yeah, that's interesting. I've been in, in the org development and, and coaching kind of space in, in previous lives, you know, myself. And uh, there's there's no question. I think that there's a, a hunger for this this type of work across all the functions. And what what I always notice, I'm I'm curious if if you see this, is that um, you know the the language around it seems to be uh, people discover symptoms before they discover the cure. Right. And Hey, we've tried lots of things and we're spinning our wheels and, and I don't know, people just don't feel good. Productivity is down. Is that accurate? Like, do you, do you have a, like sort of a diagnostic way to look at, at this? Yeah, I think that, I think that's true. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the times when, when clients approach me, it is because there's been, you know, some pain on the team one way or another. And they have tried, you know, things like you're talking about, like, oh, well, we brought in an agile coach. But, you know, it's like you can't just slap a process on it when it's something deeper. Like, and, and really what it boils down to most of the time is like a lack, lack of psychological safety on the team. Uh, like people don't feel comfortable speaking up. People don't feel like they can share what's bugging them so much. And so the workshop that I bring in like provides that safe space, at least while I'm there, is sort of a starting point. Um, and, you know, speaking of the science, I mean, Google did a study, um, you know, about uh, the what makes for an effective team and psychological safety was like, you know, the top thing. And no, nowhere on the list was, you know, a team full of rock star developers. So uh, I think that that was really telling. And I would definitely lean on that when I um, talk to these groups, because, um, you know, a lot of them look up to Google for, you know, I don't personally, but like, I know that they do. So I share that information with them that, hey, even Google, who does like one of the most toxic interviews in, in, the, in the industry, they're <laughs> starting to recognize that uh, psychological safety actually matters. A little so. backhanded comment there. Yeah, I got you. I got yeah, a little you, bit. Just throw it in there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, even Linus Torvalds came out recently to say that, uh, you know, he's going to try to stop being so much of a jerk and <laughs> learn about emotions, you know, so. Attention, we interrupt this super nerdy tech talk to bring you a very exciting announcement. At Gun.io, we connect you with senior freelance engineers. They have 10 plus years of experience. They've been triple vetted. They're perfect. Are you an awesome company or an awesome individual that has a new project on the horizon? Then head to Gun.io. We've got every engineer for every tech skill. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, curious, how do, you, how do you catalog the emotions? I mean, there's like a million dimensions on this, you know, and, and then there's endless numbers of assessments and, you know, behavioral and emotional and, you know, all those things. I, I don't know if you use any quantitative metrics. 
Yeah, I've played around with that because there is. I mean, there's been so much research now on this. I mean, I mentioned Daniel Goleman. He kind of popularized the term emotional intelligence, but there's other people in this field too. Um, and uh, I think Amy Edmondson's the one who really dials in on psychological safety. And so there's a lot of these assessments. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I've played with that with teams, but really what matters to me is like helping those individuals on the team. And so like, I don't even care so much about helping various companies. I mean, that's just like a side benefit, but it's really, for me, it's about helping the people. Cause I think that they're the, they're the power, they're the, uh, source of change. And so, you know, and they may go on to other companies like I did, like, because I, you know, always saw myself as kind of a mercenary. <laughs> um, I kind of uh, care more about the individuals. And so uh, for that reason, like, I try to, you know, tell and inspire them to do experiments in their own life. So even if there's a study that says, oh, yeah, this is effective, you know, in like 90% of cases, you could also fall in that 10%. So really, what matters is trying it out for yourself, whether or not there's research to back it up, do a little experiment, you know, like, uh, treat yourself like a lean startup, you know, like do, do a little uh, experiment, like, hey, if I try journaling every night, or if I try, uh, you know, meditation, or if I try, uh, whatever it is, um, let me see if it makes a difference in my life or not. Right, right. And like a baseline, how do I feel, you know, and check in with yourself and, and which is good, just good psychological, personal self-awareness, health, you know, all those things that it, it tends to get lost, you know, when you when you work all the time and, and get this uh, unidirectional kind of approach, I'm just going to write code or I'm, I'm just going to sell or mm -hmm. I'm just going to do marketing or whatever it is, right? You start to lose touch with yourself there. Talk a little bit more about the psychological safety do you, do you really find that that is absolutely the the root like it's a good place to to land i think it's a good place to start especially in the tech world because i think that uh because of the influence of academia on the origins of the tech industry um you can see this you know in the in the interview approach where it's like about algorithms and stuff and, and things like that um you see that there's this premium placed on proving that you're smart and showing that you're smart, and uh, which is fine. Uh, you know, being smart is great, but the problem is that it discourages people from showing any vulnerability or any potential weakness because of fear that you'll be found out. So, so we see this in terms of imposter syndrome, for example, uh, which affects underrepresented groups even more. But everybody experiences it. I think uh, they just show it in different ways. Sometimes people overcompensate by you know being a little extra cocky to show that they're um, qualified, whereas other people you know, act not so confident. And so I think everybody experiences imposter syndrome. It's just a different matter of how they um, display it. But I think that the reason for imposter syndrome is this lack of psychological safety in tech, because it's like, well, I have to be the smartest one in the room and I have to show that I'm the rock star. So, uh, you know, it creates this fear of like not wanting to show any vulnerability and for psychological safety to be uh, you know, um, on a team, people have to be comfortable being wrong and, and making mistakes and admitting to them, uh, admitting to making mistakes. And we have to kind of shut down that ego. So sometimes I, I in my talks, I'll say ego is the biggest problem in tech. And I think it's the truth. I think um, that ego, that need to protect our ego keeps us from relating to others and uh, prevents psychological safety, causes imposter syndrome in us and others because we try to put down others to make ourselves feel better. You know, a lot of this stuff is stuff that, you know, should be taught when we're children, right? But uh, people miss out on that sometimes, especially people who gravitate it more towards computers. Like, I mean, and I did too. Uh, a lot of these lessons we have to reawaken in ourselves because we lost touch with them. How do you deal with, um, I don't know, you probably get a room full of engineers sometimes. You go, you know, we, 
and you, you hear, we totally agree with you, but it's the people who aren't in here that we have trouble getting through to, you know, it's, it's a lead from the bottom kind of thing from, from culture um, change. Right. And it, you need to have a willingness from even the middle management or, you know, the upper management and leadership to embrace the, you know, the expensive or at least appearance of expensive, you know, sit there and take feedback and listen to people and allow for that space of safety. I mean, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of input. I think we would both agree, you know, sort of being aware with, with this work and practitioners would agree that it's worth it. Um, but that's not the, that's not the standard view, you know, that, that grew up in sort of American business culture, like faster, more, you know, not so many meetings, not so much listening top down. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there that, that, uh, transcends, you know, even sort of modern, uh, engineering orgs. So how do you, how do you deal with that when it's, it's really about somebody who's not in that room and should actually be taking your class? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of times, uh, it'll, uh, that's why I love working with the whole team if I can. So I love working with small teams because then everybody's in there, whether they want to be there or not. And, uh, and the reason I don't mind is one, I'm pretty good at handling the skeptics because I used to be one uh, and I would have dismissed all this. So I can kind of anticipate what their objections are going to be and then like have a study to like point to to show actually um you know and then show them the study so uh that's one way is that like I just I show them actually like this is valuable and here are the reasons why um and again uh usually those people who are skeptical about the usefulness of this they're usually angry about something like there's usually something that they're annoyed about in their own life like maybe uh, their teammates are, you know, um, not as good as they are, or maybe they're not using the framework they want to be using or something. They're usually frustrated. Um, and so if I can connect with that and show them how they can help alleviate their frustrations using these techniques, uh, that a lot of times will win them over too, because they see like, Hey, if I learn how to empathize and communicate with empathy, then I might get to use this framework I've been wanting to use, or we might be able to switch to this new, you know, whatever. And so it's like a practical skill. And so from that perspective, um, sometimes they'll be willing to see that it's worth the investment of this time. Because, you know, one thing I point to is it's just more efficient to communicate with empathy because whenever you don't, you trigger people's fight or flight response. So if you go at them and you're just like, here's why you're wrong and I'm right, blah, blah, they're not even listening to what you're saying because they're their heart speeding fast and they're ready to, you know, respond and defend their ego. And so if you can approach them in a non-threatening way, you're more also more likely to get what you want. And so again, every time I can connect with what somebody else really wants, like that's, that's usually how I win them over. And again, like I said, there's lots of studies to back it up now. So as far as like um, showing them that there are, uh, that's worth the time, I can usually pull those out. And so the frustration for a manager or a leader, whoever, assuming you can get them at the table, this is just going to be the stuff they experience like echoed back from the team. But it's really like a personal thing. Like, Hey, you know, are you having a little imposter syndrome about your leadership today? You know, and, and that's what makes that frustration come from. Yeah. It makes, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Do you have to advance sometimes to say, I need to get, I keep hearing that name and I need that person added to the program because there's something going on there. 
Yeah, sometimes I'll do like private coaching with the um, individual that, you know, the problem individual, so to speak. Um, but it's funny because like I said, like a lot of times I identify most with that person. Like some people are f- who are familiar with my work will know I wrote this blog post, uh, Confessions of a Recovering Jerk Programmer, where I talk about the fact that I used to buy into the fact that, you know, the idea that proving that you're the smartest in the room and being that arrogant jerk was valuable. And I used to be that way. So a lot of times that jerk on the team and I get along just fine. And we talk about, you know, and again, it usually boils down to there's a positive spin, which is that they're just really passionate. You know, they're really passionate about engineering or a craftsmanship or whatever it is. And they just don't feel like their teammates are up to that. or And so it comes across as aggression and lack of emotional intelligence and so if they, they learn a few t- techniques, a lot of times it can make a big difference. And then we can harness the power of their passion for good. I like that. I like that. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, diversity and, and how that fits in. I'm a huge topic right now, right? I mean, it's pretty hard to a- avoid diversity in the tech press. And, it's true. Uh, you know, what's that like on the, on the ground? Because it is a piece of this pie or, you know, an overlapping circle, however you want to draw your, your model. It doesn't stand alone. Yeah, absolutely. It ties in. And and the reason I try to tie all these things together is that I understand that with all the pressures people are under, if they're not affected by, if they think they're not affected by the diversity issue, they're going to dismiss it because like, oh, it doesn't really affect me. So it's not a big deal. But that's why, you know, my strategy is to connect it to this other other problem. So, you know, I'm not like a diversity inclusion uh, consultant or anything like that. I just see how underneath the diversity problem is this lack of emotional intelligence, empathy, et cetera, because empathy means being able to put yourself in somebody else's uh, shoes, right? And being able to, I like to say, whatever weird stuff someone else is doing, it makes sense in their heads. And empathy is understanding how, like what, what's going, what's their model that makes this make sense to them, whatever seems weird to you. And so, um, you know, that's, that's how it ties in as far as emotional intelligence is really that empathy piece. And, and I think, Two, uh, you know, valuing emotional intelligence on the team will also help with hiring a more diverse set of people. Because, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or whatever, but I've always had sort of an interest in more than just the code. I like the code, but it's mattered to me what we're building and like what's the meaning behind it and all of that. And that doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily, um, you know, to come through in interviews because people don't really in, in like, you know, for jobs people don't really care about that. They're like, oh, can you code? And that's it. And like, you know, there's there's problems with that too, because people from underrepresented groups will feel more anxiety in software interviews because they're worried about confirming negative stereotypes about their group. So if I know that I'm going in and people think, oh, women aren't very good at coding. And so I know that, I know that that's an unconscious bias that people have. It's unconscious, you know, most of the time. They're not like consciously thinking this. But so I already know I'm at a disadvantage because they're like, if I succeed, it'll surprise them. They're not expecting me to succeed. And so that puts even more stress on me. So with if, if they have been taught about, you know, stereotypes, emotional intelligence, they might be able to step, take a step back and think, huh, am I, how am I judging her and what's affecting my judgment of her and whatnot? So that's how it helps too, is just giving people another perspective on what's affecting their decisions, because all of our decisions are affected by emotions. We can never turn off our emotions. Um, and so, you know, I think recognizing that is a big piece of this. Yeah, I think, and you, you probably have stumbled on a, the least difficult way to get people to listen, maybe to, you know, divisive issues, right? You know, it, because when I hear diversity come up, you can immediately see the walls and it's like, well, where am I in that topic? I'm not sure. I feel insecure. 
But if you say like, hey, we all have emotions, right? You know, so what's you treat the thing, the objective kind of as that trigger. I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, it's it's a good articulation. So, uh, you know, having spent a lot of time with, with technical leaders, I, I totally resonate. So thank you for sharing the insights. How can people, uh, you know, who are interested in this, obviously you're talking to a lot of CTOs right now. So um, how do they find out? How do they uh, get involved with you? Yeah, so the best way uh, is CompassionateCoding.com, my website. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at April Wenzel and at CompassionCode because of Twitter link limitations on usernames. Uh, and um, a lot of people just email me, April at CompassionateCoding.com. So bring it on. I'm not worried about the spam. Awesome. April, thank you for spending time with us. It's really cool to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.